welcome to the Kia's Lifestyle Wellness Podcast, Wellness in Your World. As a reminder, Kia's Lifestyle Wellness is an exciting and visionary project breaking new ground within the wellness industry and it combines our resource-efficient wellness club with our online wellness programs. So whilst our design and build move forward, we bring you the PS5 areas of wellness online. Conversations about real wellness, new fads, new weird trends, we clear the fog that can make wellness seem so confusing and intimidating. So if you're into facts, credibility, expertise and a bit of humour, stay tuned for some wellness in the world. I'm <laughs> Very good. She forgot who she was. And I'm, I'm Ella Griffin and welcome to um, our Wellness in Your World podcast. Together we are the co-founders of PS Lifestyle Wellness. Today we are delighted to welcome Mark Innes. You should know how to pronounce it up there. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Yeah, and, and Mark is the principal and owner of the School of Natural Therapies. We did say this might go downhill quite quickly. <laughs> so, Mark is based in London, but also online. And the School of Natural Therapies is a centre of study for massage, reflexology, and sport and remedial massage. Mark is an educator, researcher, and developer of massage, wellness, and holistic programmes. And he and his team have been teaching massage and holistic therapies for over 30 years. Mark has an infectious passion for the industry and educating people to deliver their own love for the fascinating and increasingly popular world of massage and holistic therapies. Mark has a personality of focus and compassion. These traits have served him well and as a former paramedic for 23 years with London Ambulance Service, as well as as having spent four years with the Made for Life Foundation, researching, developing and gaining accreditation and endorsement for cancer touch therapy treatment. And to round it all off, Mark is renowned in the industry, not only as one of the best tutors and practitioners in his field, but also an all-round nice guy. Mark, did you last part of that yourself? <laughs> I was going to say, you well-researched there, aren't you? I'm impressed. No, it was, she's, she, she usually does all that. So was it all accurate or do you have to call Yeah, I'll, I'll just clarify. So, so the School of Natural Therapies is 30 years old. Um, I took over the school as principal and I took over the business uh, back in 2010. So, um, uh, yeah, so I've only been at the helm, as it were, for, uh, for what, 11 years now. But since that time, it's, it's grown it's grown really big now. Uh, I would say before it was probably more of a cottage industry, what we call a cottage industry. So just mm-hmm. a few courses a year. And uh, it was heavily focused on, um, you know, post-qualification. It was focused on things like facials and beauty and stuff like that. Um, so at that time, when I took over, my, it kind of wasn't my industry, really. I was thinking, let's go more down the, you know, let's develop into sports and remedial massage, which we did. Um, but then I found myself drawn into uh, another world, as, as you know. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So tell us how you got to where you are. We don't need the whole life story, just you know, <laughs> just your career. <laughs> I'm quite good at keeping it succinct. So, do you want me to start off? Uh, do you want me to start off when I left the NHS and what? Tell what, us about what you did in the NHS because yeah, I think that probably formed the foundation of your next step, surely, did it not? Yeah. So I was, I was a wee young thing of. Um, I was. Uh, I joined as a cadet actually, uh, London Ambulance Service. Um, almost a school leaver really and uh, in those days we um, you, you start off your career very much driving around in uh, you've probably seen them the coaches and the clear windowed ambulances so it's usually we used to call it i don't think this is being uh, derogatory but we used to call it the jerry ferry so all the 
all the geriatrics we would pick up and uh, there was mostly older folk who were going into outpatients or uh, for their for their appointment and we'd, we'd pick them all up and sometimes we'd have to carry them on a chair on the tail lift and take them off to outpatients and um, wrap them in a blanket and then pick them up and take them home uh, and then very you very well absolutely it's it's bread and butter work and, and it's as important and it's and it's where you it's where you learn how to how to deal with the public how to talk to people from all walks of life you know I mean I would describe myself as quite when I was at school I was quite shy actually um, quite sensitive quite shy wasn't very you know uh, I couldn't have done anything like this you know I never really would but you know you you gain confidence you know because especially when you become um, a paramedic because you know people's first reaction is thank god you're here you know we're so we're so glad to see you and, and uh, please help us you know and i think that develops you know you have to be confident in what you're doing and i think i always say it made me the person that i, that I am now really um so yes i worked my way through and um worked in the busy streets of central london became a paramedic and um specialised in cardiac care, coronary cardiac care, that sort of thing. Um, and then, I don't know if you remember, but we had back in, certainly in England, I think it was countrywide, uh, UK-wide actually, we had an ambulance dispute back in the very late 80s, 89, 90. And uh, yeah, we were fighting to be brought into line with, you know, the fire, you were, you were tiny, weren't you? Um, we were wanting to be brought into line, um, you know, with, with firemen, because back then we came under the Home Office, we weren't even part of the NHS. Um, so it was all about that really and I don't know, it changed things and um, it was a very difficult time and um, afterwards, I don't know, it just didn't have the same kind of feeling for me. So I ended up going to work in the control room, the, the 999 call centre at Waterloo and I became a radio operator so I would be dolling out all the calls to all the ambulances and then I worked my way up to um, post a superintendent so I was sort of in charge of all the uh, income or the call centre really. Um, so you know what I always say about that type of work is it makes you the person you are. It was great, I loved it, I wouldn't have swapped it for the world. But it has a shelf life because what I could see coming um, was if I don't get out now uh, you know, the stress, the shift work, it turns your body upside down. And uh, I thought if I don't correct that soon, um, you know, there's going to come a time where I'm not going to be very well. So uh, I thought I'm going to get out while I can. And so I left in 2007. But prior to that, I had got interested in doing, uh, well, interested in energy, I guess you'd call it. So um, my grandfather was, I would describe him as a healer. Um, he was a clairvoyant, he used to read palms, and he was a fascinating man. And uh, I used to get migraines a lot as a child, so when I used to go, you know, if I wasn't well, I'd go and visit them, and he'd just put his hands on. And, and Maddox used to just go. I mean, he was just such a, a great healer. And there was a time when, uh, just before I left the NHS, where I started getting sort of, I don't know, sensations in my hands. And I remember being at a conference with a lady and she said, oh, we were just chatting about it. She said, yeah, I can really feel that coming from your hands. And she said, I've got a bad knee. Why don't you put your hands on my knee? So uh, I did. Uh, it must have looked a bit dodgy in the bar. But, and then about 10 minutes later, she said, it actually feels better. You know, and I, she said, you should, you know, should do something. I wasn't really sure what it was, to be honest. And then by chance or not, I met a lady at um, a train station, got chatting to her. She was a Reiki master. And uh, we got chatting and uh, 
we swapped numbers and then I became tuned to Reiki. I think that was in 2004, 2005. And that opened up a whole new world for me because suddenly I, I think that's what also drove me away from the NHS. I was like, I, I need to explore this world because it, everything made sense to me. Everything was about energy and vibration. And I was heading in that direction and um, I became a, a, a Reiki master, so someone who's attuned to level three. What I used to notice was people would come and have a treatment from me and it would always make them feel better. They'd always go out better than they came in because I was working from home. But it always came back, you know, the pain, whatever was wrong with them always came back. And I used to think, what's driving their illness? What's behind this, you know? And, and that became a sort of a, a quest for me, if you like. And, um, and that's when I started to explore the mind-body connection. Um, and I started to, uh, you know, body work. So I, I, I went to a massage school and learned how to do a massage, Indian head massage. I was already doing the Reiki and it all kind of fell into place. You know, the, the, I started to teach uh, for another company and then the opportunity came up to buy the School of Natural Therapies for a very good, a very good price. And I thought just something, you know, that gut, that gut sensation, I need to do this. And um, yeah, the rest is history, really. Um, so, but the bizarre thing was I was living on the south, well, I'm back living on the south coast of England now. Um, but at that time, I decided to move to Cornwall <laughs> just for an adventure, really. And, you know, we, we rented out the flat and we decided to up sticks and go down there um, just for a couple of years and see what it was like. And at that time, the school came available. So I ended up doing this, this looking back now, I mean, living in Cornwall, but the school was in London. So every weekend I'd make the, you know, the pilgrimage up to London and, and be part of that, then drive back to Cornwall. I did that for about four or five years, just spending, you know, it was just crazy, 300 miles each way. Um, but I just did it because, you know, I, I, I love running the school. I also like to live in Cornwall. Um, and then there came a point where I thought, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's too much. It's, it's telling on me. So um, I sort of drew back from the school a little bit. And we had two, two, um, two wonderful tutors, one that worked with sports massage and one that worked with what we call the holistic side. And I said to them, I'm going to step back a bit. I'm going to put you out the front. You can run the show. Uh, I need to do other things. So we did that. And so I'm still head of the School of Natural Therapies. I'm still principal. I'm there as the as the wise old owl if advice and guidance is needed. You know, and I help to you know, still run the school and, and develop it. But I, um, yeah, I, I do other things. I do lots of things. So it was when I was in Cornwall that I think I probably met, living in Cornwall, I met, I met you, you ladies at um, Sparfest. So that, well, that was 2006. Was it about four or five? No. Yeah, 2016, because I was working for Boya. So I don't think you were there the first year, Lindsay, no. So, and I was still working for Boya. It was before we started. Yes. So, yeah, it would have been 2016. I think you were there one year, and then the following year, Pam, you were, uh, sorry, Lindsay, you were there, weren't you? You spent the following year, maybe? I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They, they kind of merge into yeah. one. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Spafest is um, it's an industry event that, um, well, actually, you might want to explain why you were there, Mark, because you a huge chunk of yeah. work that you've done between <laughs> that and that. So yeah, so, so I met uh, a lady called Amanda, Amanda Winwood, while I was um, while I was living in Cornwall. And um, she, uh, we, we hooked up together. We, we had a very similar uh, philosophy on um, one particular area of massage, as you know, and that was 
you know, uh, working with people who were going through or recovering from cancer. And it had long been a frustration of mine, uh, you know, with my medical head on, I could never understand uh, why we couldn't open our doors to people, you know, with care uh, and with the right knowledge. And, and I knew that, you know, I, I knew that spas were turning people away at that time, beauty salons. Uh, were very, very reluctant, very reticent in, in treating everybody. And you know, it was like the doors were being closed for all these people. And it was a frustration of mine because I couldn't see any clinical med or medical reason why we shouldn't do that. And, and Amanda had the same kind of you know, thoughts going on in her head as well. Now, she, she is the owner of an organic skincare company. Um, and there wasn't a lot at that time going on in Cornwall for sort of you know, care for people who were there were various centers, but not much really going on. And anybody that's been through cancer will tell you, it's the time when you're discharged, when the hospital say, okay, we think you're okay now. You're never really given the total sort of all clear, it's always remission. Um, and I think it's that time that people really need, people need contact and need touch. And that just wasn't available at the time. So because we share the same philosophy i guess that drew us together and um, i did a bit of work for amanda working in the laboratory there uh, making some of the organic skincare products that was only going to be for a few months that turned into a couple of years and um and then it was that point when amanda and i said Let, let's get this let's get this show on the road let's let's do this so so we did so i went off and did my research um drew on all my medical knowledge i suppose um i've had experience of working you know with cancer patients when I was you know back on the Jerry Ferry days because a lot of those people uh, had to go to have their radiotherapy or their chemotherapy so it means picking them up and you know I think back in those days things like radiotherapy were quite brutal um, people were quite poorly afterwards not that they're not poorly sometimes now but then I think it's different and so um, yeah we'd have to really look after them get them home as quickly as possible so you know having dealt with that side of things and with my medical knowledge and my massage head on it, it just made sense it, it seemed unethical not to to do this so we drew the program together we got it accredited um, and, and endorsed by SIPTAC uh, as well which, which took some work and then we went on a, on a UK wide journey really um, spas were very keen um, to uh, to engage our services and uh, I loved it. I loved it. I, I loved traveling around. We had such good times. Um, met some amazing people. I was always very impressed with the Scottish contingency. I always thought the quality of therapists up there were were really really good. Um, people do say that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've never quite got to the bottom of why that is. Do you? Can you? Is there a reason for that, Mark? It's really obvious to you, having worked all over. I don't know. You know, I, it's one thing I've observed. I've got to be careful not to offend anyone. I won't, I won't name areas or, or, or places, but you know, I've worked in certain regions where the work ethic seems different, and I, I, I don't know. It's I can't put my finger on it. Um, I think that across the UK there are different regions where sometimes the work ethic is good in general, and that is a generalisation. That's not to say that there aren't good therapists everywhere. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just interesting. I always found there were certain regions that I worked in where everyone was more willing to engage. Um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just, so, just, I, can I just give some context just for people who maybe 
are listening to this and are sort of sitting here thinking, why were people, why were spas and salons not treating people with cancer? Because it, it's always been a, a myth in our industry that massage actually spreads cancer around the body. So there, there were two things really that, that, that spas and salons have dealt with over the years. There was this myth that I don't know where it came from, but it was just always around. And then there was this other um, myth that your insurance wouldn't cover you if you uh, treat deal with cancer and you the worst in verticals and both of those things aren't correct yeah, but not. they managed to take hold like take a really firm grip um i mean even when i did my training in 2016 i was told that i wasn't allowed to treat cancer and i knew that was wrong because of the work that i done from the other side of the industry so you know again not to kind of it's nobody's fault necessarily but it's unfortunately no. just one of those things and then it took it took one really high profile case of somebody taking a very high profile chain of spas to court essentially and saying you know you've turned me away under the disability act this is actually illegal so it, it was it was unfortunate that happened but at the same time it was probably quite good because it started this whole conversation around what's going on here and i think that was around about the same time that you and amanda were working on yes well, I mean, there was one case that made the Daily Mail, um, and it was a lady who went into, I think we probably talked about this, but she went into um, a salon in London, I think, for a, a, maybe a facial, I can't remember the details. But the salon owner had literally said to her, we, we wouldn't touch you with a bar's problem. Oh, and, um, and this was a lady recovering from breast cancer, you know, I mean, not, not the best start. And uh, this lady, I think, happened to be a lawyer or, or something, and, and that's how it kind of, yeah, and I remember that article because I remember um, uh, a uh, consultant um, oncologist coming, coming, you know, becoming part of the article. And I think he even made the TV, and he was saying, "You know, where's this coming from? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy." And I was thinking, "Thank you, at yeah. last." You know, it's been, this is it's, it. It's yeah, it galvanised everything, and it, it, it. But but what I noticed was when I used to talk to, because you know, I'd always open up the course by saying, "You know, what are your what are your beliefs about you know." massage and cancer and what were you told when you were studying and I I firmly believe that the fear gets instilled or was instilled into people from training school days and it, as you said it's um, Pam it's not anyone's fault I think you know the tutors didn't know themselves or they were told they were given a reason um, and then you just pass that information on and then people start to you know flare it all up and fabricate it all those arms <laughs> uh, people saying yeah well it stops the chemotherapy from working and, uh, yeah. and this What's, what's this born born of you know um so you know uh, the, i think the biggest job you know in the first in the first half now you have to quash all these bits and you have to explain why that's not the case now that's not to say that you don't have to be careful uh and i always say it's not even about the massage it's about or it's not sorry it's not even about the, the cancer it's about the treatment they're having because that's where we need to focus our attention therapy, the surgery, the, the drugs, you know, that have side effects that we need to know about so that we can tailor or target the treatment uh, or adapt it in some way for for those people. Uh, you know, I always said this, you know, I used to say to them, from here on in, you know, everybody will be able to come into your treatment room and lie on a couch and have something uh, and not, not just a, you know, a, a manicure, pedicure. You know, even that was crazy, really, because that was the go-to treatment, wasn't it? It was, you know, can't can't have a massage, but we can do your nails, your pedicure, manicure, and that in itself 
if you don't approach it in the right way, if you're not aware, it can be dangerous and could cause, um, for one thing, lymphedema. Um, so again, I go into detail about that uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm training, uh, and that surprises a lot of people. So um, yeah, I mean, care needs to be, it's, it's all about knowledge, it's about empowering people to, to know about cancer, look at it logically and go, this can't happen, we can't be, you know, we can't be spreading cancer. And then once, I think once a therapist feels empowered, then they're able to have that conversation with their clients and say, look, you know, you've, you've put here on the consultation form that you know, you're recovering from or having treatment. This is the way I think we should do the treatment. Um, it doesn't always work because sometimes people book in for things like deep tissue or, you know, they want the treatment they're booked in for. But I always say at least now you can have that conversation with them and you can explain why you're not doing that or why you're giving them this treatment or offering this instead. Because I think people, I think the worst thing you can say to clients, uh, bear me out if I'm wrong, is oh, it's policy, it's policy or we're, we're not insured. I mean, that must really, you know, yeah, get to some people. And that's why I think people get frustrated. Yeah. And that's when all the kind of arguments blow up and they're dissatisfied customers and, uh, and things like that. So I always think put someone in a place of, you know, where they can stand in their power and know what they're talking about, have that conversation. Then I think that can, then I think people understand why you're really looking after their best interests. Well, at the end of the day, we're the wellness industry, and if we can't, we can't be inclusive, then who's who's going to be? And I mean, I, I've done some of the cancer training, in fact, we both have different ones, and I've both done slightly different courses. But really, it's just about adaptation. It's about asking the right questions. Um, and I've said this before: is the power of touch is such an incredible thing that it can be the slightest touch. You know, and there, there can be people who've gone through such evasive treatment where they've been gone through all kinds of things and actually just that very gentle touch from, from somebody, you know. Well, I always used to say this. And physical health. Absolutely. I mean, you, you think mm -hmm. about when you're, a lot of people say that, you know, when you're diagnosed with cancer, when you, 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 you come under the, their wing and some people say that they feel very disempowered. It's like they take over your life. Um, and that, not, in a, not in a way that, you know, in a helpful way, you know, we suggest, you know, we want you to come in, we want you to have this surgery, then we want you to have this treatment. And people feel a little bit disempowered because they literally put themselves in, in, in the hands of the medical professionals who are looking after them. So they kind of lost their identity in a way. And then at the other end of that, if they're, if they're fortunate enough to, you know, to be discharged, um, that's when I, that's why I think they feel a little bit kind of vulnerable. And that's when I think contact and, you know, gentle nurturing contact as opposed to that very clinical touch that they've had uh, you know examination you know let's listen to your chest and lay down there and put your arm out there and then suddenly they come into this environment don't they where you know there's music playing and, and it's it, it's very gentle and people re people literally reconnect with, with themselves and and that surprised me actually because I think in my with my naivety at the start of all this I thought it was just about yeah yeah give them this knowledge get them in give them a treatment that will make them feel good but actually as we started to meet the clients that came in and volunteered for us um, I think what I learned was that the healing starts when they just turn up and come into the treatment room that's before they've even undressed uh, and, and laid on the couch because. It's that having to, it's being able to open up to somebody that understands what they've been through, um, able to talk about it. I mean, you, you'd meet sometimes um, people who would have had, let's say, reconstruction, breast reconstruction, or maybe a mastectomy, and hadn't even shown their husband, or they hadn't even seen them without clothes, and then suddenly here they are, trusting you as a therapist. 
sort of say, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this off now, and, and you know, or I'm going to take my wig off now, uh, and that sort of thing. And I think that's that's where the healing starts there before you've even laid your hands on them. Uh, and that, that I think yes. that aspect surprised me actually. Uh, and I re- I had a, I had a, um, that it starts before that, you know. Uh, and it is that thing about it is that thing about reconnecting with yourself. And I mean that doesn't just apply to people who've gone through cancer. I mean, in the current environment you know, that we found ourselves in for the last year, I mean, think of the loss of contact uh, and the isolation that people have, have felt. Um, I, I went back into treatment in December last year and we were back to back to back with body massage. Well, that's because that's all we can do in Scotland at the moment. But, you know, the number of people that were saying, you know, I've never been for massage, but I just wanted, I just wanted something different. I wanted to just relax. I wanted that connection. And it was, it, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it because, yeah. you know, um, you could just sense with some people that, you know, if they, especially if they've been self-isolating or were living alone or whatever, hadn't had much contact with people, that just being around other people and having that kind of, you know, experience, it, it completely changed. Their, like you're talking about energy, Mark, you could feel they had not much when they came in. And then when they left, they were like different people. And I always say as therapists, and I use the term we collectively, have got such, I think we're in such an amazing position that we can make, we can really change the way that somebody feels that, I actually believe, I firmly believe that it, it's, you know, once we can all open up properly, that it's, it's actually, you know, if there's anything to glean out of this situation, it's been good for our industry and it will continue to be good for our industry, I think. Um, especially, you know, people are not travelling now and it's that thing, isn't it? You know, if you can't travel abroad um, or you can't do what you want to do, you know, maybe people will just be treating themselves to a bit more nurture, you know, a facial, a massage. Um, I remember back in 2008, remember we had that kind of financial crash in 2008 and I was teaching at the time for another company and we, I remember the, the owner of the company being worried, you know, more people not going to be booking on hot stone massage courses or actually we were busier because people were giving up all the expensive things and just having these little treats where they could. Uh, and I think the same. I think the same is going to happen now, actually. Uh, and I think you know, and on both sides of the industry, you know, the, the what I call the holistic side or the beauty side, you know, the sort of the gentle touch and all the you know the facials, the hot stones, and all that lovely stuff. But also on the on the and Lindsay, I know that you know you're in the sports massage um, world uh, as am I, and, and I think you know that also is going to bring its own set of issues that need to be resolved. So you know. By the fact that I'm sitting here now, and I've been sitting here for a long time working, um, you know, things like the psoas muscle, everything becomes imbalanced, you know, uh, neck, shoulder issues. Um, people, uh, people just want, you know, and, and more and more people working from home now. I mean, I read recently that banks are reducing their um, their offices. Um, I don't know if it's just in England or UK by 40%. So that's because 40% of their staff are now working from home. And you can, you can bet your bottom dollar, they're not, they're not sitting there with their screen at the right height, the right support in their back, they're not getting up every now and again and walking around. You know, they're just stuck there in this position, whatever, no phone here. <laughs> I mean, that's gonna be very telling. And, and I think as, as, the, you know, as the School of Natural Therapies, um, we just literally had to put people on a waiting list because everybody now, is very keen to work in, in, the, in the industry. Um, 
so um, I think we're recruiting a lot more people as well. I don't know how it works on the, on the beauty side of things, um, but certainly a lot more people know. And interestingly enough, you know, um, down here in England, if you're level five, you know, your class is clinical. Um, so, you know, a lot of, lot of people, level five therapists work, you know, with chiropr in chiropractic clinics or with physios. Um, and they've kept running, um, kept running throughout. So people are now thinking, mm, okay, so if I become level five, I can keep going even in lockdown scenarios, you know. Uh, so we've seen a lot of people wanting to upskill as well. That's great. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I hope they're doing it for the right reasons, yeah, because they want to do it. I mean, it's all very well saying, well, it keeps me going, but, you know, do you really want to work in that field or, you know, so I hope they're doing it for the right reasons. But it's good from, from the school's point of view, absolutely. Um, and one of the things we have done as well, um, and we, we tried it out um, this year, um, something that I, I observed when I was, you know, on, on the road, as I, I call it, was there were a lot of really good spa therapists who, who wanted to do something more, let's say, remedial. Um, not, not all of them, but some of them. And that meant, officially, you know, technically, you know, going on and, and doing a sports massage diplomacals. Now, sometimes it's cost prohibitive, sometimes it's, you know, you can't have the time off to do the course. And I used to watch some people massage, and I used to think, they've got really good hand skills, or they've got, you know, they are really good, and the way they use their body is really impressive, considering they haven't been trained in the sports world. And I just chatted to Joseph, who's, uh, who's our sports massage director, and I said, I think we could do something with these people. So what we did, what we came up with is what we call a, a sports massage conversion course. So, um, so what we've done is we, we recognize that spa therapists have the right background. You know, they've studied anatomy, physiology, they've got massage hand skills, and some of them have been in the industry for a, for a long time. So why wouldn't we want to consider that experience and what they've, what they've gained? And rather than having to take them back to the very beginning. So we came up with a sports massage conversion course and um, I won't name her, but uh, somebody I worked with one of her spas, she came along and uh, she came down from, um, from the Lake Districts and uh, she, she did the conversion course and she's passed. She's got a level three sports massage now. So um, it's um, it literally takes your prior knowledge, recognizes it, but we just upskill upskill you a little bit with the right kind of hand skills. You know, obviously you look at your posture and your biomechanics, uh, the way you use your body. Uh, people do get into bad habits, I'm sure you know. Um, there's a little bit more upskilling on the anatomy, physiology side, particularly with muscles and soft tissue. Um, but yeah, it's been really successful. The uptake's been really good. And uh, so that means, you know, a spa therapist, if you want to, or even a beauty therapist, can uh, use their knowledge and experience and, and convert themselves over. So that kind of broadens your spectrum of clients, doesn't it? Are you doing that? And am I right in saying that you're doing that offering that in Edinburgh as well, Mark? Well, we, we tried it out in London uh -huh. just to see whether it worked. And, uh, and it did. It did work. And some of those people have now gone on to do the level five program as well with us. Um, and we always said, if it worked, if it was successful, and if we got good results, we would extend that out. So, so um, uh, yeah, we're, in answer to your question, I think, I think building on that success, we're ready to go countrywide with that. So Edinburgh is, is certainly is on the list. And what we would do, it would be like a, a four day intensive. So we do a lot of the theory via, via Zoom. You know, it does mean that you know if you've studied anatomy and physiology and you've had your qualification for a few years 
you know, you need to go back and revise your anatomy a little bit. And, and that's kind of, and that's what we call self-directed learning. So yeah, you need to get your textbooks out and you need to, because there is a 25 question multiple choice paper covering each system of the body. That's not bad actually, 25 questions for theory is not bad at all. So there'll be two questions in each system of the body. Um, there's a couple of assignments to do, and then we, we, we would probably come up and do sort of four days intensive and do a mock day on, on the on the last day. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, go, go forward for exam. Go forward for exam and get your qualification. So watch this space, people, if you're based in Edinburgh and you want to... Well, yeah, and if you, anyone's got the space up there and, and wants to invite <laughs> us up, you know, I mean, the, the beauty of doing what we're doing now and doing all the theory by Zoom is it doesn't really matter where you are, does it? Um, we can do all this, uh, you know, and then just come up for the practical. So um, I think we'll probably look at Edinburgh and then probably just come down a bit to Manchester Brilliant. and see how that goes. So I have, um, I have been in talks with somebody in Edinburgh, actually, who uh, I think has the right space for us. It's just a case of when I can come into Scotland and, and go and view it, really. I'm looking at Lindsay's notes and she's got some really amazingly long words that I can't pronounce. <laughs> and I love hearing you guys talk about you know, the more kind of intense clinical stuff. So what is it you've got written down, Lindsay? <laughs> well, it's going back to, to something that you uh, originally said about that mind-body-touch connection, um, because neuroscientists have identified how stress, depression, and other mental states can actually alter organ function, um, and shows that there's a real anatomical basis for kind of psychosomatic illnesses. I'm so glad you asked me that question, Lindsay. I'm thrilled that you asked me that question. This is where I really kind of open up. Um, so the, we call the biopsychosocial um, element of, yeah. Have you heard that expression before, biopsychosocial? I haven't. Um, yeah, I have. so, I mean, undoubtedly the mind-body connection is there and that, that's something I realized way, way back when. Um, I, I studied um, a, a different way of looking at things. So I will stress it's not a replacement for conventional healthcare, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, consult your GP and, and all things. But there are other ways of looking at symptoms um, as well. And we know that. Um, so it, it, oh God, we can maybe do this as another podcast because I could probably take up another. An um, but we look at the way, in a way, we kind of go back to embryology, and we look at the way we as a species have evolved and it gets interesting because then we start to look at the different tissue types in our body and how they developed uh, over over thousands of years and because i know if you know we started off as just a group of cells as what we call a blastocyst and we were just a group of cells in a in a, in a ring shape and literally if i can say this without kind of people going but like the anus and the pharynx were almost connected so it came in, it went in a circle, it came out again. And at some stage in evolution, that broke open. Uh, and uh, people are going to be seeing this, aren't they? Let me show you. I can show you. If you can see this. Sure, I'm slightly concerned now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm not going to show you. But this is a very interesting diagram, actually. Um, it's, it's, let me just come close. You can see that kind of, can you see that ring formation mm -hmm. here? That ring formation. That's, that's when the... the naso the pharynx and the, the anus were connected and you see in time that broke open and it almost mirrors what you see is how a baby forms yeah and just to carry that a bit further i mean here you see the same thing 
but you see, look, that's actually, this one here is actually a baby in the embryo. And you can see that almost that ring developing. Now, why is all that relevant? Well, because we started out as very few cells, we, we, we became multicellular beings, and then through evolution, we started to grow a, so that was all controlled by what we call the primal brain or the lizard brain, you know, the, the brain stem, what we now call the brain stem, and a part of the cerebellum at the back of the head. And that's all we were, very simple um, cellular beings. And then as we started to move around, we developed a musculoskeletal system. So we developed bones and muscles. Uh, and that became part of the, um, the uh, uh, medulla part of the brain, the middle of the brain, that evolved with that. So when we look at the medulla today, we know that that part of the brain controls our musculoskeletal system. And then as we started moving around, we started to form in groups because you know why would you not why would you not be in a group it's easier it makes life easier so we started to form in groups and 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 that's when the outer layer of the brain the cerebral cortex started to develop and again you know um things like the skin is controlled by by the outer cortex of the brain and this was all researched by uh, by a doctor and again i won't i won't go into too much detail now but if you ever wanted to do a podcast about it so i can tell you so much more about it but what it means is through evolution each area of the brain has controlled can now control certain organs and tissues in our body and so when we look at and so so with that comes um conflicts as well so if you for example the primal part of our being uh, is about survival because you know that diagram I showed you, it's about taking in food, processing food, expelling it. That's how we survive as a species. So all our organs of survival are still to this day controlled by the old part of the brain, the brain stem. So our lungs, for example, uh, are controlled by it because it's about taking in air, processing it and breathing out. Um, so, you know, when we have a conflict that affects our survival, uh, it affects that part of the brain in, emotionally, causes a conflict that then has a, uh, a knock-on effect to the physical body. So um, things like liver issues, you know, starvation issues and uh, things like that. When we start to feel that we're not worthy, we're not good enough or we can't do something, uh, that very much comes under the control of the uh, cerebral medulla and we see musculoskeletal issues. So a lot of musculoskeletal, so where I'm going with this is a lot of people with musculoskeletal issues have conflicts around not being good enough, not being strong enough to do something. Uh, you see it a lot in the sports world, actually. Uh, you see that kind of thing going on. I'm not a good enough footballer or I'm not very good at this. And then you see problems develop, particularly in the knees, oddly enough, which is often about kicking the ball or moving or running, you know, about doing something. So that's where you start to see the mind-body connection. There's a conflict, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not agile enough, and the physical effects that can have on the body. Now we'll say this is not just mumbo jumbo, this was researched and it, it is provable, uh, scientifically provable, and again, I can go into much more detail on this, um, by uh, Dr. Hammer, who sadly is no longer with us, but I can tell you more about his work. And so, Going back to what we we're saying about that mind-body or that biopsychosocial, I think in the massage industry, yeah, it's very relevant. Um, and of course, you know, thinking about the when we became, we started to form in groups. You know, we were used to being in groups and being touched and being seen and being heard. And then you think about what's happened in this last year. Suddenly, we're cut off from the tribe. You know, we became used to living in those groups. 
we're now cut off or have been cut off from those people yeah, we've lost that touch uh, and, that, and that company and, and that contact and that's when I think it will have knock on if it hasn't already had knock on effects in the physical body so are you guys predicting you're just going to see so much more of this well, yeah, coming I mean, through I mean, because of what we've been through now. Well, yeah, and it goes back to that survival instinct. So your 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 stress level, your fight or flight will will be on constant high alert, and not least because of what has been going on and 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 there being a virus that is mm. deadly. But you've also got the issues like Mark said, and you're, you're working from home, and you're not an environment that's conducive to that. Um, you're, you're maybe got you're, you're maybe a, a, a business owner who doesn't have staff, or you've had to furlough your staff and you're taking on more work yourself. So your stress levels will increase. So you you've got your survival mode is on all of the time. Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, survival mode kicks in, doesn't it? When there's a, when there's a virus, because you think you know, is, is this am I going to die? Is this going to kill me? You know, and so you go into survival mode, uh, and, and the fear that surrounds it all. Um, the, the loss, I, I predict actually, there will be, because um, sometimes you, so on this model I'm talking about, the, the fascinating thing is sometimes you get symptoms in the restoration or the healing phase. So in other words, when the conflict is resolved, sometimes symptoms can kick in to repair tissue in the body, to repair the, the damage that was done during the conflict. And again, I'd have to go into much more detail about this, but I predict that we'll see eczemas and psoriasis a lot more. I've already seen it. The number, the number of clients that contact me and say, you know, their skin is all of a sudden sensitive, it's red, it's dry, what's going on? Lots of contact, lots of contact. Yeah, yeah. and stress as well, you know, and, it, and, you know, stress in the body, we know, is inflammation and it has to go somewhere and very often it will come out again and, you know, it can take up to six months for that to happen. And, at the turn of the year there, I was getting a lot of clients contacting me saying exactly that. Why, why all of a sudden has my skin done this? I'm like, well, think back to what's happened in the last six to nine months. Absolutely, it's it's all there, it's all there. And yeah, yeah. And, and so you've got the physical stuff like the, you know, what we were talking about, the sort of where we are now, sitting and not moving around enough. So that's gonna have a knock on, but it, it is also about contact and, and that biopsychosocial connection. Uh, and, and, that, and one of the questions I thought you were gonna ask me was about, you know, what do I think of you know, what's my definition of wellness? Well, we'll ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, for so, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a loaded question, that one, isn't it? Because it means different things to different people. You know, you ask one person, what does wellness mean? And it's, oh, we're not being ill or not having any pains in my body or, or whatever. Well, to some people that is wellness, but just because you don't have any symptoms or any pain, does that mean you're well? Uh, because are you well up here? You know, can you be on the road to or on a pathway heading up to symptoms? Because maybe things aren't good in your mind, uh, in, in your head, or maybe the conflict's going on. So wellness, I think, is not just absence of symptoms. I think wellness is uh, very much like, I mean, how do I say this? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Or what's the thing that keeps you awake at night? what bothers you what worries you because you can bet your bottoms on that or what do you spend a lot of time thinking about that you haven't normally thought about and i think those are the things if you spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about something to the point where it's not as much an obsession but i spend a lot of time thinking about it. it's the last thing i think about at night when it keeps me awake or when i wake up in the morning my, my mind goes straight there 
you can bet your bottom dollar that's a conflict that needs to be resolved. Now that's... How do we do that, Mark? <laughs> well, well, there you go. There's the million dollar question, isn't it? You, that's the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so wellness really, is it just about not having pain or symptoms or is it about, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, looking forward to getting up, going to bed at night, and sleeping soundly? Um, it's more than just physical, isn't it? Um, you know what I mean? So... I could talk about it all day, really. <laughs> but, uh, but I think I think that's kind of yeah. I mean, I think it's it's interesting times uh, where we've been and where we're going, um, and I think we're going to start to see as we you know come out of lockdowns and start to resume things in some normal way. I think you'll start to see healing going on, and you might you might see things like experts and um, yeah. stuff going on. You're looking at your paper there, Lindsay. You've got another question. <laughs> which is nice but um well thank you for thank you for joining us the, the point of doing these podcasts is we want people to understand that wellness is a you know our industry is so multifaceted and it's so it's so interesting to hear people's different journeys through that industry yeah. taking them so you come from well, traditional medicine if you like and you you yeah the dark side and but you know but then the two there's very much a place for the two and actually there is a huge argument that the two should work together absolutely absolutely and i think what what you're doing is is addressing that you know we i mean i know i know where you're heading with your with your project and your plans and things are moving forward and i think you know the great thing about what you you ladies are doing is is you're addressing that that very those very issues so i think you're going down the right pathway is there anything else you'd like to tell us, Mark, or should we schedule you in for another podcast? <laughs> well, listen, I'm always here. You know, I'm always here. I'm not going too far at the moment. I'm um, I'm working on some new stuff in the oncology world, which will be exciting. Right. Um, so I can tell you about, a bit more about that uh, maybe next time. But yeah, if, if you want to do another one at any stage, uh, we can delve into any of what, what I've talked about today in more detail. Very happy to do that because uh, the more people you engage, um, the more people ask questions and the more we can put people on a pathway if uh, if that helps them in some way. So. Over to you, so Thank you very much, Mark. Um, and as always, everyone, please like, share and comment um, and contact us for more information on creating bespoke online wellness programmes for you and your employees to ensure that they remain motivated and engaged in your business. You can find us at pswellnessedinburgh.com so thanks for listening and join us next time for some more wellness in your world. Bye everyone. <laughs> thanks very much for inviting me. Take care. You're very welcome. Bye.